Um, I asked the group on Wednesday night, how many of you have already written wrong checks already? But I don't know if, if that's you. But um, a time where many of you may have already started some kind of resolution. I don't know. Maybe you've uh, already resolved to lose some weight. You've already resolved to get out of debt. Maybe you've resolved to quit a poor habit or start a good habit. I don't know what is on your list. But this morning... I would like to suggest adding one thing to your list. I've been recently studying a certain book of the Bible, and the Lord began to speak to me and said, you need to do a series on this. Uh, so I'd like to add something to your New Year's resolution list. As a matter of fact, I'd like to suggest that we all make this our number one resolution for 2016 because everything else in our lives will benefit if we pursue this one and one purpose only, and that is to love more. Love more. Who doesn't want to be loved more and who doesn't want to be able to love in return? Much of the unrest of the world today, the, uh, uh, the wars and the rumors of wars, the uh, um, Paris shooting, the San Bernardino shooting, much of it is because love is not ruling and reigning in our world today. I'm reminded of a young man's story. This young man grew up never knowing his father. Matter of fact, his father, who was a heroin addict and an alcoholic, this young man never even met his father until it was at his mother's funeral. When it comes to his mother, the mother spent much of her adult life hooked on painkillers and drugs and was an alcoholic herself. She suffered from bipolar syndrome. And the majority of the time, this young man says his memories of his mother was that she was either high or drunk or in the hospital or was trying to commit suicide. When he was 10, due to a domestic issue in the home, they had to move in with their grandparents. But this atmosphere wasn't much better. The grandfather had been an alcoholic himself. And the grandfather soon suffered some kind of an injury to where he was paralyzed. And this young boy at the age of 10 and his sister, they had to help take care of the grandfather. The grandmother, she too was bipolar. And you can imagine the atmosphere that this young man and his sister had to grow up in. He even told me that, one time he remembers his grandmother taking a knife and holding it to his throat and threatening to kill him. Oftentimes the grandmother would say to this young man that you're lazy, you're worthless, you're stupid, you will never amount to much. This was the environment that this young man grew up in. And when I recently talked to this young man, he said that through it all, through all the dysfunction, through all the hurt, through all the pain, the one thing that stands out the most is that he just wanted to be loved. Some of you may remember this story because it's the story of our own Jesse Nichols. To be loved 
and to show love. Is this not what life is all about? Now, this may sound like it could be a shallow, watered-down, feel-good message, but I assure you, it's not. As a matter of fact, this message was rather hard on me as I tried to prepare because God began to nitpick at some areas in my life that needed to be improved with this. Now, I'm not talking about just any kind of love or love on a human level because human love has its limits. There's only so much that human love can do. No, I'm talking about a love that goes beyond what the human heart can produce. I'm talking about a love that can love enemies, forgive and forget even when the person doesn't deserve it. I'm talking about having the love of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was willing to die for you and me, yet while we were sinners, His love offers us salvation and forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. And the love Jesus offers can totally transform who and what we are. And let me remind you, and here is the crux of the message, today and next week and who knows how long after that. Here is the crux of the message. This love, this love, this transforming love, this love that was given to us, yet while we were sinners, we are commanded to show our family We are commanded to show our friends. We are commanded to show a lost and a dying world this love. And if we're going to go into a study like this, where do we go to in the Bible? Well, there's probably several places that we go to. But first, how can we not go to the love chapter? So if you have your Bibles this morning, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 13. Let's read the entire chapter this morning that will be on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, it would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained Nothing. For love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no records of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking and unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part 
of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want to reemphasize this another way, so I've not asked this person um, if, if I can do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I just, the first three verses, Sister Louise Worsham, would you come up here, please? And I'm just going to ask you to read that verse for me on the screen. Nothing more, nothing less. Just read that verse for me on the screen. Now, now, just give me like three seconds. Don't turn around, okay? Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you or anything. Okay, whenever you're ready, go ahead and start. done yet? That's good. That's all right. (laughs) Get the picture? I have your attention now. This is what Paul is trying to say. That it doesn't matter what Luis was trying to say, all you could hear and all you could pay attention to was the gonging and the noise in the background. No matter what our good intentions might be, if love is not the driving force, it matters not. Let's break that down just a little bit, those first three verses. Paul tells us that we can speak in tongues. And some of you, I'm surprised no one has really given me that topic yet for what's on your mind, but that's okay. Uh, We can uh, speak in tongues. Uh, We can have the gift of prophecy. We can have the gift of knowledge. We can have enough faith to move mountains. We can have enough faith to snap our fingers and tell it to be 75 degrees out there, and it could be. But without love, it means nothing. It does not matter if I give everything that I own to charity. Doesn't even matter. Listen to this. Doesn't even matter if I die for the cause of Christ. If love is not the driving force, it's empty and it's worthless. I've read a story about what Paul may have been thinking about 
during this time. It says, I can be burned if I give my body to the flames, if I am burned for the cause of Christ. Paul very well may have been thinking about um, a story behind a famous monument that was in Athens at the time. It's called the Indian's Tomb. At that time, there was a monument called the Indian's Tomb. There, an Indian actually burned himself in public and arranged to have his monument inscribed with the following, quote, Zarmano Chigas, an Indian from Bargosa, according to the traditional customs of the Indians, made himself immortal and lies here. Paul is trying to tell us that if the mode in which makes people give their lives to Christ stems from egotism and pride, then even martyrdom becomes valueless. Sometimes people's actions, which look sacrificial, can really be the product of pride and not love and devotion. But here's where I want to begin really breaking this down. Verses 4 through 7 tell us a lot of things. The first tells us that love is patient. Love is patient. The Greek word here used for patient is the word makrothumian. Makrothumian. And what I find very interesting is that this word used in the New Testament always pertains to patience with people and not with circumstances. Isn't that interesting? I'd rather be circumstances. Patience with people and not with circumstances. Why is this significant? Because patience makes the most impact and is most like Christ when it's displayed toward either oneself or another human soul. Not circumstances. I have a circumstance at home right now that I'm dealing with that is driving me absolutely crazy. I have ground moles in my backyard. Some of you have had them as your pets as well, I can tell. And every time I look out my backyard or back my back window and look at my, my yard, it is driving me crazy. They're making a wreck out of my yard. And I've tried, I don't know, I've tried Grubex. Someone said try Grubex. I've tried putting mothballs in my yard. I'm sure my neighbors say thank you very much for that. I've tried everything that I know. And by the way, if any of you all have any tips, please see me after church because I don't know what else to do with these things. Cats? Hmm... Some of you know how I feel about cats. So that might not, they scare me, they just freak me out. But that's a different story altogether. But I might be getting that desperate. Cats, huh? Steph, get ready, honey. Now come to me with tips. Don't come to me with your cats, okay, after service, okay? I don't want your cats, all right? Every time I look out the window, I'm going, oh. I'm exasperated. I'm losing my patience with those things in the ground. I don't think, though, that God is nearly as concerned about my impatience with the moles in the ground as He am if I lose patience with my son or with my wife or with my daughter or with 
patience with people and not with circumstances. Listen, biblical commentary author William Barclay says that the word used here refers to those who are wronged and have it easily in their power to avenge themselves. Yet they will not do it. Did you hear that? People who are wronged and have it easily in their power to avenge themselves and yet will not do it. It describes people who are slow to anger and it's used of God himself and his relationship with his people. Does God not have patience with us? In our dealings with others, however difficult and however unkind and hurting they are, we must exercise the same patience as God exercises with us. Such patience, folks, is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. Some of you who study history and like the Civil War, those two men right there, that man on the, on the left, if you, you know who that is, raise your hand. You know who that man is on the left? Some of you know who that is. Really? All right, good. Edwin M. Stanton is the man on the left, and actually I believe he was from Steubenville, Ohio. He's, uh, he's a Buckeye. During the presidency, Abraham Lincoln, of Abraham Lincoln, no one, no one treated the president with more contempt, more disrespect than his secretary of war, Edwin M. Stanton. Listen to this. During this time, Stanton called Lincoln a low, cunning clown. He called him the original gorilla, whatever that means, but he called him a gorilla. There was a world traveler, a famous world traveler in those days, whose name was Paul Duchalou. He was, I believe, French, and he was very popular at that time. And Edwin Stanton said that Paul de Chalou was a fool to wonder about Africa trying to capture a gorilla when he could have found one easily in Springfield, Illinois. Harsh, isn't it? But all along, Lincoln said not a word. He even made Stanton the Secretary of War because he was the best man for the job. And he extended every courtesy and every kindness and patience towards Stanton. As the years wore on, Stanton's opinions of Lincoln began to change. And on the night that Lincoln was shot, Edwin M. Stanton was summoned to the bedside of Abraham Lincoln and we're told that as Stanton looked down at his fallen president and with tears running down his cheeks, Stanton said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And I tell you that I believe it was God-inspired patience made the difference. Love is patient. How many of you have prayed for patience? Never pray that prayer again, will you? Love is patient. Love is kind. This will be my last one today. I want to stay here just for a little bit. (laughs) Have you ever met someone that just rubbed you the wrong way? 
If you say no, then you should be at the altar at the end of the service. I mean, someone who every time they just come before you, just, just something wells up in, in, inside of you, and you just want to ignore them, or you want to be unkind to them, you want to, there's just something, yeah, you're shaking your head. Now let's be honest, folks, there's, this is getting right down to where we live. This is practical Christianity right here. Okay? This is not a lot of fluffy stuff this morning. This is practical Christianity. Sometimes it's hard to be kind. But what's convicting about this trait is what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say love is patient, love is kind, unless it involves someone who has hurt you. Unless it involves someone who just annoys you or you don't like. It doesn't say that. You and I do not get to pick and choose who to be kind to. Third century biblical scholar Origen said this, love should be sweet to all. Love should be sweet to all. I once heard someone say they, they were noticing Christ-like traits in someone else. And they said that person just smells like Jesus. Don't you want to smell like Jesus? Love should be sweet to all. This love, our love, the love that Jesus Christ extended to us should be kind and sweet to all. Brother and sister, are you the same person at home and at work as you are at church? Are you sweet and kind here on Sundays, but once you get home or once you're in the workplace or once you're out in public, you become another person entirely? How would your co-workers describe you? Would they describe you as someone who is gentle, who is kind, who is sweet to all, or would they be surprised to hear at all that you're a Christ follower? Hmm. Listen, if Jesus can't make a difference in how we treat people, even those that rub us the wrong way, even those who have done us wrong, if Jesus can't make a difference in how we treat people, then what difference does it make at all to even claim Him? Jesus came not just to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. He came to change us. He came to change us within First or Second Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. What are all things? All things are your temper. All things could be your disposition. Um, some of you who know my father-in-law may be very surprised to hear this, but before uh, Chuck accepted Jesus Christ, he said he was... He was um, Angry, he was a man who would fly off the handle easily. Um, he would get into fights easily. That was part of who he was. But see the difference that Jesus makes. My father-in-law is known to be sweet and kind to all. Mm. I'm reminded of a story 
in the Bible the story of Jesus when he was washing the disciples' feet. The night that Jesus probably shocked the twelve when he got up and, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. That was a job for a slave. Not their king. Not their Messiah. And when Jesus got to Peter, this is what we're told is said, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Now this may at first to seem like a very respectful, a very noble act on Peter, saying, no, I'm not going to, no, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. But in all actuality, what Peter was saying is, Jesus, I'm not going to humble myself and allow you to do what it is that you're asking. And when Peter displayed that lack of humility, Jesus said this, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Boy, that struck with me when I thought about that this week. In other words, Jesus was saying, Peter, if you're not going to humble yourself and be obedient to that which I'm putting right in front of you, you cannot claim to be one of my disciples. You see, Jesus got right in the face of Peter. And he exposed one of Peter's biggest stumbling blocks, and that was Peter's pride. You see, folks, there will come times in our life when Jesus will get right in our face. He will get it. You know, we all have a personal space, don't we? You know, I don't know if it's about one or two feet, but sometimes people get in our personal space, and we just say, back off. I don't want you in my personal space. Sometimes Jesus will get in our personal space. What are we going to tell him to do? He'll get right there. He will confront us on something that he wants us to do. And anything other than a humble, broken, contrite spirit will not do because it will not produce obedience. Love is kind. You see, this whole thing, love is kind, is is, uh, not just about being patient, not just about being kind. It's all about humility. It's all about obedience. It's getting awfully quiet out there. (laughs) It's about giving our entire being to the one who gave his everything to us. Listen, church, with all the love that I can muster, let me say, that if there is someone in your life that you cannot show kindness to, that you cannot show the same kindness that Jesus showed you, and you know that God has been speaking to you about it, if you continue to reject the Lord's promptings, there may come a time in your life to where the Holy Spirit says, okay, you have no part with me. James 4.17 tells us, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. 
Some of you are saying, Pastor Brock, this is impossible. If you've been studying crazy love, Francis Chan, over the last several weeks, there's probably been many times when you've been saying this is impossible. What he is telling us, what he is asking us to do, we cannot do. And I say, you're right. You cannot do it. How do we live this kind of a life? How are we patient at all times with all people? How are we kind to all people at all times? And I simply say, look, the same way that we accepted Jesus Christ. If there is something in your life or someone in your life you cannot be kind to, A, admit your problem. Admit your sin. B, believe that God through the Holy Spirit can help you. C, ABC, confess any wrongdoing on your part, and then ask God and the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you the grace. Remember what we said grace is? Grace is God's divine influence. There are those times when we need God to divinely influence us, to pursue us, to persuade us, to do those things that we can't do in and of ourselves. It has to be divine. It has to be divine. Ask God and the Holy Spirit to give you His grace and strength to do what you cannot do yourself. We said this Wednesday night, but the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Daily. 1 Corinthians 15.31 Folks, if we want to live this kind of life, you and I better die daily. Listen, God wants you and me to be examples, to be ambassadors to others of the kindness that he has shown you. Psalm 117.2, For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalm 63.3 Romans tells us, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And Colossians tells us, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Before I wind this down, let me just bring out one point I was driving one or two days ago, and God put this in my mind. Look, it can be easy to fall into the trap, church, of being critical. Amen? It can be easy to fall into the trap of being overly critical, of having an overly condemning attitude, something painful happened to you or someone did something or said something to you that was hurtful. So you know what you're going to do? You're just going to ignore them and you're going to pay them back or you're going to be rude and you're going to be unkind and you're going to show them. We can get so wrapped up into what we think that we need, how we think we should be treated that become critical and we, come, and we become mean-spirited. But if we're honest, oh God, help us to be honest. All of this shows is how unlike Christ we are. And here's a little side note. Sometimes, 
Sometimes the real issue of being unkind is not with someone else, but the real issue is you. Maybe you're unkind because you don't like yourself. Maybe you don't really like what you see in the mirror. And it's really affecting how you treat other people. Maybe you're up and down in your attitudes. It's because you don't like what you see in the mirror. And if you don't like yourself, then you do not have it within yourself to be kind and patient. Some of you this morning may first need to take care of yourself. What is something in your life you don't like about yourself? Maybe God is trying to say, I need to deal with this in your life. Then you can be free to love. Love the way that I have loved you. Jesse, I want to thank you for allowing me to use your story. I want to remind you, and some of you weren't here that day to hear Jesse's testimony. He got up and gave his testimony. But here's the other half of the testimony. And then I close. At the age of 16, I believe I got you know, these details right. Jesse said he was introduced to a Christian friend who introduced him to Jesus. And Jesse, in the midst of that dysfunction, accepted Jesus Christ. And little by little, and over the years, as Jesse grew through the ups and the downs, Jesse's commitment started uh, making a difference in his life, and things began to turn around in Jesse's life. But he said that once he graduated from high school, he moved out of his grandparents' house and, and really never associated with his grandmother for about the next 12 years. Understandable from everything that he and his sister had gone through. A very difficult thing. But it was around Thanksgiving. I remember Jesse calling me or texting me about this, but it was about Thanksgiving of 2014. The family received news that their grandmother uh, was uh, failing in health, and they had, call, they had called hospice in. And so Jesse and the family, they went to go see the grandmother. But on that trip, nothing major happened, nothing miraculous took place. But later that night, Jesse said that he felt God calling him to return back to see his grandmother. I remember that call, Jesse. Remember you calling me and say, what do I do, Pastor? When Jesse went back later that night and he was all alone with his grandmother, and the two of them began to talk, and before long, Jesse looked at his grandmother and said, can I pray with you? And that in and of itself, Jesse said, was a major miracle with his grandmother. And Jesse led his grandmother in the sinner's prayer. And when he left, Jesse said, for the first time, she looked at him and said the words that he had never heard, I love you. Love is kind. Love is patient. And I thought to myself, what makes a man forget that this woman was once the source of great pain and agony? What 
makes a man forget that this woman once held a knife to your neck? What makes someone forget that this woman used to call you worthless, stupid, good for nothing? What makes a man forget all of this and purposely return to the bedside of his grandmother to try and make amends and to lead her into the sinner's prayer? What makes someone do that? The love of Jesus Christ. That's what does it, folks. You see, before Jesse surrendered, Jesse, I believe that that time you were, you were probably fighting, what do I do here? And when you made the decision, I'm going back, that's when you humbled yourself. And that's when God got the victory. When we humble ourselves. You see, the victory was already, was already won before he even made the trip. When he said, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going back. Jesus confronted Jesse face to face. And said, I want you to do this. Jesus got in his personal space. Because Jesus forgave Jesse and reconciled him to himself, Jesse was able to extend that same love back to his grandmother and become a vessel of reconciliation. This is the difference between human love and the love of Jesus Christ. I'm done. I'm through. Mandy, if you'll come up. Joyce, if you'll come up. Love is patient. Love is kind. Like I said, folks, God's... His finger's starting to hurt a little bit. Would you bow your heads, please? God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. for loving us yet while we were sinners. Thank you for being the ultimate example of patience and kindness. Lord, all it takes is just humbling ourselves, admitting that if there's something in our life that is not right, if there's someone that we need to be reconciled with, someone that we need to extend patience to, or someone that we have not been real kind to, It could be the person that someone is sitting beside right now. Could be a spouse. Could be a husband and a wife. Could be could be a father and a son. Could be a mother and a daughter. Could be a brother or a sister, a brother to a brother or a sister to a sister. Lord, this morning this can be a house of reconciliation if we will but humble ourselves. And allow the same love that you have placed within us to forgive us of our sins. To allow that same love to love others. Oh God, help us to love as you loved. Lord, help us to start smelling like Jesus this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.